Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 36. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. It's Sunday morning in the Guide Shack, and I'm sitting here with Christopher and Ben, our instructing instructing team here at the uh, Jack Mountain Bushcraft Field School. Uh, how we doing this morning, gentlemen? Oh, can't complain. All is well. Um, yeah, so we just wrapped up week two of the spring wilderness bushcraft semester. We are looking out on the landscape that is now only half covered in <laughs> snow. Uh, <laughs> we still can't get down the road, um, but uh, I've got a plan for that later this afternoon. I'm going to get a whole bunch of shotgun ammunition and um a whole bunch of liquor and i'm gonna get all liquored up crank some acdc and just uh gun the truck i'm gonna gun it right through the snowbank and blast any snow that gets in the way i'm pretty sure that the road covered in snow is the highway to hell they were talking about <laughs> anyway that's gonna happen so this may be the last time you hear from me yeah <laughs> highlights a week two there's been a lot of challenges just moving around with the snow, um, getting settled into shelters, and yeah, just, just moving around has been quite a chore. Snowshoes on, snowshoes off a lot. Yeah. Um, so it's been much much more of a physical challenge than it might otherwise have been without mm -hmm. the snow. Yeah, and that has always been the, the glory of the spring semester, right? April is still, April's not really spring yet in Arista County, uh, at least in our neck of Arista County. It's often... Winter is lingering. I think it's on its last leg, though. We're starting to see some stuff that's... I think we're about done. I hope so. <laughs> but anyway, this afternoon, me, four-wheel drive, shotgun blasting, chugging whiskey, cranking ACDC. I'm getting down that road. It's the way you've always wanted to go, Tim. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe I'll just get so much momentum that I'll finally jump the Aroostook in the truck. It's... Actually, I was just sitting out looking at the Aroostook. I don't think Evil Knievel himself could jump it right now. It's, it's we are pretty we're well about, flooded. We're about 10 feet above flood stage. Across. Easy, if not more. The entire field across the river is flooded. Yep. Like, it's, you know, the the uh, in town at the Sportsman's Club, uh, right in Ashland, the water when I drove by yesterday mm -hmm. was, like, right up to the base of the building. We stopped uh, on the way back from PI yesterday and pulled in there and all the water was up to where the picnic tables are. It was funny to kind of, Ben was sitting on the picnic table and it was, half of it was submerged underwater. Yeah. So yeah, 
lots of interesting things there. Uh, this week coming up, I just picked up some canoe paddle blanks, so we're going to start carving our canoe paddles. Everybody was making mocha toggins uh, last week and through the weekend, or crooked knives. Um, Got so- started on bow drill fires, mm-hmm. worked with some primitive deadfalls. What else did we do? I don't know. <laughs> well, we've been really uh, hammering away at the nature studies curriculum, and that's sort of that's what true. we want to talk about today. Um, woke up this morning, and there was a uh, there was a beaver in the pond, and he's we're actually yep, I'm looking at him as we speak, looking out on the looking out in the pond. So one of the nice things about up here, we don't even have to go anywhere to look at wildlife; they'll come to us, mm-hmm, especially the red squirrels. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, nature study is a huge part of our curriculum here uh, during the semester. Um, we have a book that I wrote a while back, kind of a guide to nature study called First Person Ecology. And if you're curious, it's a free download. You can download that and get started working at home um, You know, with a copy of that book and a library card. And it wouldn't cost you anything but your time and effort. Uh, but the idea is that nature study is kind of what makes the uh it really is what kind of brings bushcraft or living outdoors in a remote area or guiding you know it's the i think it's it's the special sauce that makes it real Mm -hmm. you know it's not just knives and gadgets and and you know other stuff um but it's learning something about the world around you and i have a sort of a thing I like to say during courses that we are probably the dumbest generation or two of humans that have ever walked the planet that, you know, me personally, how much of my brain matter is devoted to eighties, you know, advertising jingles and song lyrics and not stuff. enough, Tim. Yeah, exactly. But you think that, you know, if you were raised in an indigenous culture, by the time you were 10, you knew every plant, every tree, you know, you could tell the weather, you knew all the stars, all those things that, that we study and work on during the course, right? So the the uh, title of the book, First Person Ecology, you know, is such that we want, uh, what we strive for when we're teaching people here is to have them build a relationship, a first person relationship with the natural world. Um, you know, it's disturbing to think that the interaction most of Americans have with the natural world in 2018 is is through glowing rectangles, right? TV screens, YouTube screens. But to get people actually out and experience things firsthand, I think that there's some magic there. Yeah, I think the most telling part about that is the when we do weather journaling, um, people are really, at first, they're very interested in like, what's the exact barometric pressure? Like, what is it doing right now? And they think that that's, like that having like, a momentary fact is what's going to allow you to have any kind of insight into the natural world. And it's never about that. It's about, um, it's about the patterns that you see in the natural world through being involved in it for a long period of time. Yeah, definitely. We're raised in an academic yeah. environment that values facts and mm-hmm. things like that. And, and, and definitely there is some of that involved with study in the natural world, but, but I like what you say. It's more the trend, yeah. you know, and, the the goal I think is to broaden our view, right? Not make it more narrow. Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I can't remember where I read it, but at some point somebody, I think it was Aldo Leopold um, in San County Al- San County Almanac, says that there's this disturbing trend that by um, by learning about something you have to become blind to something else, and I think that that's kind of a shame because. I think that in learning academic stuff about the natural world, you 
you increase your ability to notice those patterns and to become more aware of what's going on around you. Um, I don't think that it makes you blind to it. I think that if you're doing it right, it opens up different pathways into that kind of deep knowledge that we're always talking about. Yeah, so we have a method uh, that we use here that we've developed over time to sort of get people from from full stop to, to going 100 miles an hour with regards to learning the natural world. Uh, but I think it's important that it's not just an academic exercise, right? It has to be a blend of like first-person experience and facts and academics mm -hmm. with the idea that, you know, for example, we started doing our uh, plant studies the other day. And I always will tell people that it can't just be like an academic visual exercise of ID, right? So with that in mind, I encourage people to, if it's, you know, if it's an edible plant, taste it, smell it, you know, see how it feels in your hands, get as many senses involved as you can. And that's, I think, building a deeper knowledge than if it's just memorizing the Latin name and that it has, you know, certain plant parts or whatever that, you know, just that visceral knowledge and understanding of it is a different animal than straight academics. But we are striving to understand both. Sure. And so the plants are one of the five main areas that we really focus on on the semester course. Of course, there's innumerable um, aspects of the natural world we could choose to study. Um, what we focus on during the semester is weather, plants, mammals, fish, and the constellations. Um, precisely because those are the things that are most read readily available to us. Those are the things we can see. Those are the things we can smell. Those are the things we can touch um, maybe more easily than some aspects of nature. And I would add, it's not a part of our formal study, but especially in the spring semester, uh, bird songs, bird calls. Mm -hmm. We do a lot with IDing, IDing sure. them. And they have been calling like crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know what they're so happy about. Apparently, they're not aware that Khloe Kardashian's having a hard time. Uh, so as soon as the, you know, most animals, and birds especially, are just self-centered little narcissists. It's true. Like, But find me one wild animal within, like, five miles of the guide check right now that's concerned about what Khloe Kardashian's going through. That beaver I'm looking at looks real upset right now. <laughs> Um, but to, con to with the bird songs and that pattern thing we were talking about, like the birds were the first ones that we kind of started noticing a lot of. Like when I showed up here two and a half, three weeks ago, there was just chickadees and stuff. And over the last two weeks, we've seen more of those show up. Over the last three days, we've been watching, um, not even watching, we've been rescuing salamanders that have fallen into where we've post-holed constantly as they're trying to make their way back to their breeding grounds. Um, frogs are coming out. And those are things that don't mean any, they're just facts, like we said, that they don't mean anything until you understand the pattern that that implies, that everything's starting to wake up and you can start to see the end of winter there um, as these things start to emerge and wriggle forth. Yeah. No, it's a super cool time yeah. to be on the land because like life is mm -hmm. growing exponentially every day as the snow recedes. Yeah. So we... we uh... We're blessed here in Aroostook County that we don't even have to wait for the snow to be gone for the mosquitoes to come out. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Seen a few of them already. So what you're what you're saying is that by you trying to drive your truck down that hill and clear the snow, you're actually doing like a humanitarian process for mosquitoes. Uh, you could. I might hate you. You could interpret it that way. I don't know <laughs> if it would be right, but uh, <laughs> I won't argue with you. <laughs> 
so so in addition to all like the academic work we do and then the work in the field um, one other aspect that we have people do during the semester is to get a a sit spot where you go and observe the natural world um, and notice changes as they happen uh, you know things of that nature and, and a really cool story from an early semester that we ran it was uh it was 2003 i think um a guy uh named peter went to the, his same sit spot it was a winter spring semester went to his sit spot every day for 41 days and um early on a lot of snow cover and you know he kept seeing fisher tracks uh so I think two fishers were running across his sit spot and he never saw the fishers. He would see the tracks every day and, and they were really interested in this one kind of blowdown that was near his sit spot. So he, you know, kept approaching the, the blowdown, um, got a little closer every day, kind of talking in a, you know, in a real soft, comforting, non-threatening voice as he approached it. And he had thought that it was a fisher den. Um, but on day 41, he was able to crawl up in, to, into the inside of this blowdown, and, and there was a bear in the blowdown. It was a mother bear with, with two cubs, and she was just slowly waking up. Um, but, you know, I, don't, don't try that at home. I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. You know, he was lucky that, that nothing happened. But he, he never saw the bear move. He just always saw the fisher track. So, you know, he thought it was like a fisher den. And then the big question was, you know, how big is a fisher cat? Because he, he said he crawled up right next to the den and he looked in there and you know he was an arm's reach from this bear and i think he said he even touched the bear but he said he saw this big eye open up and look at him but because he had approached slowly and the bear was used to his smell and he didn't pose a threat to that bear and that she was still semi-hibernating um the bear didn't freak out so kind of a really cool story not something that usually happens usually with sit spots you go and you know you're observing the, the plants and how they change you see tracks that are new you notice different birds but the thing about going every day and going to the same spot is that over time the animals stop seeing you as a threat and then will go about their daily business and you kind of get to observe that mm. so it's super cool we spend most of our time as humans making tons of noise tons of racket and if you put two of us together even if we have nothing to say to each other we'll fill the awkward silence with talking right i'm pretty sure that's all this podcast is <laughs> uh but there's huge value in in being silent in going somewhere and observing and not making a big ruckus and you guys have both been up north with me uh you know i think about david bosom you know and just his mannerisms right lifetime hunter and you know they're, they're quiet people. You know, if you're used to living in the forest, you tend to probably be quieter or like to get off on your own um, because, you know, you're always observing what's going on around you. And that's something I notice people when they're new here, they just have no situational awareness, many of them. You know, they're just everything is about them or their phone or the interactions between people. And they don't pay attention to things like the birds around them and the squirrels and, and you know, what's going on. Yeah, it's a struggle to, to get that, especially for people in our culture who are used to looking at their phones. And there's a lot of things vying for our attention, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And um, it's an active pursuit to become more aware of the, the natural world. There's nothing passive about it. You have to work at it. And it's not easy at first. Yeah, definitely agreed. Um, yeah, so again, 
we have a we have a method that we use um, for each of these. You know, we'll we will do weather journals every day. We will press plant specimens and then research them one at a time. Uh, we'll pour track casts when we study mammals in their tracks. So, uh, and I'm not certain that it matters exactly what your method is, but the the idea is that it's good to have a method so that when you get into studying um pretty quickly the method goes away and you uh, and you are just left with the information that you're studying right it's a framework to put the information in and i just think it's useful to, useful to have a method you know not necessarily uh our method sure and i think our methods are are always um tuned or adjusted to try to fit as much as possible into the nine week course you know that's that's the limiting factor is the amount of time we have nine weeks seems like a long time but in the scope of nature studies it's a very short time so our goal is always to pack as much as much in as possible without it being overwhelming yeah because it really i mean it's a lifetime endeavor yeah to learn stuff about the natural world nobody leaves here an expert you know they leave here um probably much better equipped to continue learning than when they showed up, you know, and certainly with a lot more information at their fingertips. But yeah, it's a lifelong, lifelong pursuit. Yeah, I think an experience like this really hammers home how little people know, and then they go, they leave with a new hunger for it, mm-hmm. would be my hope. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we provide the tools mm-hmm. and some of the resources to get started. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a long it's a long road. And, yeah, and the course doesn't end when you leave. Yeah. You know, you're now equipped and you now know enough after you leave here, especially with nature studies or with anything else, um, to carry on on your own. And I think mm-hmm. that's always been the goal. It's always been the goal. Yeah. Creating lifelong learners. Yeah. Ideally, we would have people here for five years full time. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe we could have some experts. But yeah. It's, and it's even then, I'd be pushing it, I think. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, again, uh, Weather, stars, plants, mammals, fish, uh, those are kind of the, the big picture things. Um, we do a little bit with, with uh, mushrooms and fungi. We'll do a little bit with birds, as we said. We'll do some stuff with insects, especially as it relates to not losing a quart of blood every half an hour to the winged bloodsuckers, but also aquatic insects um, because we'll get into you know fly fishing and things mm-hmm. and you know, stoneflies, mayflies, things of that, things of that nature. Yeah, I think it's important to pair um, this sort of this observation and academic side with like kind of like what you were just saying. All of this pairs with an activity that we do, like fishing pairs with knowing insects because you have to fly or know how to tie flies that look accurate. Um, knowing mammal tracks and their habits goes into trapping. Like I, that's an important side of this that I think gets forgotten a lot in I don't want to say our industry, but in, in the outdoor world uh, of recreation and stuff where people just want to go and do do the thing and they don't understand um, how much more enriching that can be when you understand all the aspects of the thing you're taking part in. Definitely. I think you touched on the idea that nature is often just a backdrop for a mm-hmm. human activity, exactly. right? Like we're going to bag this peak, we're hiking to the top and you know we kind of take that that mentality into mm-hmm. into the natural world and you know maybe maybe there's value in not pushing everybody to the summit and observing what's going on you know where we're mm-hmm. at 
and I think that's a just a totally different approach than than is yeah. in the you know main I would say mainstream outdoor mm -hmm. recreation or an experience based um, organization I think versus a goal based right we're always willing to change our goals if that enriches the experience I mm -hmm. think so it's not about canoeing 20 miles if you know by canoeing 10 miles we can learn more that's, that's I would the, agree with that entirely. That's there's a big difference there between adventure sports and I think bushcraft, um, mm -hmm. and just outdoor recreation in general. Like when sure. I think of, um, you know, people like you said, bag this peak. Like when I think of every selfie I've seen that somebody's taken at the top of a mountain, I wonder, just the way my brain goes, that I wonder how many selfies it would take for them to capture the entire experience. But it never is. It's just that one picture. Of them at the top of a hill and they think that that encapsulates their whole experience sure. and that's the only way that they have of sharing it with people and i think that's kind of a shame we got uh my son likes making videos so we got a little green screen for him Ooh. last uh holiday season mm -hmm. so now we can take all those selfies like top of everest and awesome. not even have to go to everest that's wow. amazing it's a game changer uh, yeah so like why think are we even up here think of the time we've saved <laughs> We're not even in Maine right now. We're just sitting in front of a green screen in Tim's basement. Yeah, exactly. For a podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, anything else to add about that? The nature study stuff. So for the journeyman cert, you wrote up, uh, Ben, a, a way to document all this stuff, right? Sure. Yeah, you know, before, um, before we had the workbook, um, it was the student's responsibility, you know, we in first person ecology, um, it's very clearly defined what to record and how to do it. Um, but the struggle I think people had was that, you know, that involves multiple notebooks or figuring out how to organize that information into something that makes sense. So the, the goal with the workbook was to take all of that out and provide all the outlines, everything in one place. Um, I guess the big picture idea was to shift all of the focus to the information and not how it was recorded. Yeah, it's always the goal here. I think with with anything, um, all the improvements that have, have been made at the field school, whether structural as far as the pond or something like that, it's always about those learning outcomes and how do we, you know, instead of having to walk down to the river every time we want to fly cast or something like that, we've got this pond now and we can learn about the plants up here. And I mean, it's always about shifting the focus to the information and, and learning instead of people having to figure out the process for doing that. That's and, why I kidnapped that beaver and threw it in the pond this morning so people could learn something. <laughs> How's the uh, How's the feedback been from the students? It's been positive, yeah. It's yeah, it's a it's a little simpler. It just is, you know. Now again, they have the outlines right there. So we're working on weather journals right now, and so there's in the workbook there's 30 days, there's 30 outlines of a morning and an evening observation with all the information you need to collect, and um, you know, along with that, we're we're reading a couple of different books um, at the same time, which we'll talk about the chapters in the morning. Then we fill out one of the outlines and. We'll do that for, I think we're, we're about halfway now. We're at like 15 or 16 days now. So we're getting towards halfway. Nice. Um, and that's, you know, again, one of the hardest parts, especially with the nature studies, is just setting up systems for, for you to be able to learn that awareness and to, to bring that into focus every single day. You know, it's really easy to just go about your business and not pay attention to what the weather's doing. But when you carve out time and you make that, that special um, thing, which for us is the weather journal and, and those readings and the discussions that happen in the morning, um, that's what shifts the focus and that's what makes us look up. A lot of people go about their days and never look up because they don't have to. 
not because they're fools. It's just, it doesn't matter. Right. You know, it's not important if you live in Boston. I wrote something about that this past week on the blog where I was saying that uh, most people are never even remotely inconvenienced by the weather. But when you're living with minimal infrastructure, living outdoors, it's huge. huge. (laughs) Like the the amount of of, uh, extra labor and frustration just to Mm -hmm. get around here the last couple of weeks. And, you know, you think you could live your whole life in an urban area and never have to, like, you know, put on snowshoes to walk to the outhouse or sure and just like chris was talking about each one of these areas of study for us weather plants mammals and everything um it's uh, it's not just about that discipline it's it's always part of something that's bigger right so for with weather like that has a huge impact on decision making like Mm -hmm. do you know what an approaching warm front looks like do you know how much time you're going to have to maybe get to that campsite um i mean it, it it makes a tangible difference in your quality of life and the safety of a group. Um, and even in soft skills and group management, you know, like maybe that day where it's a really low pressure system and people are kind of down, if you can pick up on that, maybe that's not the day to try to work out some complicated conflict or, you know, maybe that's the day to, to make some hot chocolate and tell some jokes and, and not push it as hard that day. Um, and all that has to do with, with weather observation. It's, it's part of a bigger, picture we're not just you know we, we don't care if you can name every cloud that you see in the sky with the the correct latin name that's not what's important but what's important is the decision making process and how weather weather plays into group safety and management and everything like that so, yeah definitely it's all part of a bigger whole constellations with navigation you know there's going to be times where maybe you know i've had it myself i get turned around in the woods and you know, it's it's uh, it's nerve wracking when that happens to you for the first time. But, you know, um, you stop and you breathe and you look up at the sky and you go, oh, there's that constellation. And I know that points this way. And sooner or later, you find your way back to the North Star. And um, so long as you know a little bit about the area you're in, I mean, you're you know, you're out of there. So it's not just about these things. It's it's part of something much, much bigger that impacts quality of life and your your ability to be safe in the bush. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think uh we start with recording, say for the weather, you know, recording what the weather's doing today and writing it down with the idea that if you do that long enough, you, you're going to take this thing that was sort of uh, a list of facts, if you will, or observations, and you're internalizing it to the point where, you know, with just a glance, I can tell frontal activity, you know, I, I don't have to go through the steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We use the steps as a learning tool, but the ultimate goal is to have it be inside of you. You know, the as it says in the beginning of first person ecology, the ultimate goal is to build a set of field guides that you carry around in your head. So you've totally internalized it. Yeah. So it, each one of those can become subconscious, but they never start that way. Ever. No. They never do. It's active. It takes hard work and focus and it it takes some type of structure. Again, like for us, every single day for 30 days, you know, we're starting out with the weather and there's times where it feels tedious or where it feels like, why do I care? The, you know, barometric pressure is one millibar up today than it was yesterday. What is, you know, why does that matter? But by the end of 30 days, it starts to add up. And again, you know, the course is never done when it's done. The idea is that people keep doing this and take it as far as they want to, Mm -hmm. you know, um, setting people up for a lifetime of of learning beyond the course. And I think you said something really interesting, Ben, which is that as long as you know kind of a little bit about where you are, like we're teaching people based on the North Woods, which is where we are. 
But the, the systems and sort of um, structure that is being built into this learning process means that no matter where that they no matter where they go, yeah. they have a they have a system of learning that allows them to do that for yeah. any environment. And I sure. think that's a really interesting um, thing to walk away from this course with. Yeah. And we've had students from all over the world. You know, mm-hmm. this semester we've got students from Maryland. We've got students from Texas. Um, obviously, much, much different than the place we're learning. But all the, the methods that mm-hmm. we teach here are relevant anywhere. And that's what people walk away with, you know, especially in a case where maybe somebody wants to go back to Texas and guide, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the course is still entirely relevant because of the systems you learn and the awareness mm-hmm. you gain that gets applied, applied everywhere. While we have had students from all over the world come here, we do have an alarming number that come from Maryland. That is very strange. In the last yeah. two years, like <laughs> almost someone half... explain that to us. <laughs> yeah, especially to Ben and I are instructors here, and we are both from Maryland. Someone please explain to us how we both ended up here. Everybody I... here, except for me and Adam, has a Maryland connection. Yeah, right now <laughs> we're taking yeah. over, man. <laughs> It's going to be down east accents all over the place, the eastern shore. I walked into the cookhouse this morning, and they were just throwing away all the spices, and the only thing left is a big can of Old Bay. Christ, all you need is a bit of bows and O's, hon. We're going to go down to uh, to Camden Yards. That got Boston. I'm sorry. That was terrible. That was awful. That was one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and we should end on that note, I think, because Chris can't do accents. You should have heard the English one this morning. It was bad. Oh, I bet. I bet. Uh, yeah, anything to add, anything else to add on, on nature study and, and mm. its role in someone becoming a complete and educated outdoorsman or mm. woman? It's active. It takes effort. Don't be discouraged. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to the patterns because um, those are going to be what you're going to take away the most information from. Mm. Yeah, awesome. Well, I think that uh, that wraps it up. If you enjoy this podcast, uh, please leave us a review wherever you listen to it and uh we'll come back and hit you up again i don't know it seems like this sunday morning coffee podcast thing is is kind of uh it seems to work yeah definitely better than the tuesday afternoon frazzle just want to lay down Uh, i want to lay down right now (laughs) anyway okay well thank you for listening i'm post-holing and being bitten by mosquitoes (laughs) 